Good morning, Wisconsin. This is Brett Healy, and welcome to another edition of the MacGyver Newsmakers podcast. Recently, it was announced that the state of Wisconsin is expected to capture $818 million more in tax revenue by the end of the biennium than originally projected. This news has, of course, kicked off a debate in Madison on what should be done with the surplus, spend it on government programs, or return it to the taxpayers. Joining the MacGyver Newsmaker podcast is State Representative John Nigren, representing the 89th Assembly District up in northeast Wisconsin. Representative Nigren is Assembly Co-Chair of the All-Powerful Joint Finance Committee, which puts him directly in the center of this debate. Representative Nigren, thanks for joining us, and welcome to the podcast. Good morning. How are you? I am doing well. How are you? Doing great. Beautiful day in Madison, if there ever is one. I was going to say. Before we get started into all the heavy stuff, uh, real quick, what did you do before you ran for the legislature? So, I mean, I guess it depends if you're speaking from a a professional standpoint or just, uh, you know, what got you into politics. From a professional standpoint, I uh, spent uh, about 20 years in the restaurant business, owner, operator, etc., um, and then I also was uh, spent about 20 years in the insurance and fi- financial industry. Still, still uh, dabble in that a little bit. But what got me into politics really was just an interest in, in my community, trying to make it as you know best as I, poss- as I possibly could. I wasn't the guy necessarily involved in city government, but I was the guy maybe you know helping build a new park or run the parades, the festivals, things like that. And when the opportunity came up, former Speaker uh, John Gard was moving on. I just thought it as a you know natural step for me to get involved and. Been here for almost fourteen years now. Almost fourteen years now, ch- uh, chair chairman of the uh, Joint Finance Committee, and then central to everything that goes on in here in Madison. Uh, so let's uh, dive right in. A few weeks ago, it was announced by the nonpartisan Legislative Fiscal Bureau uh, that the state of Wisconsin was uh, going to experience a surplus at the end of this biennium, uh, $818 million more in tax collections than originally expected. Uh, what was your reaction, your team's reaction to that news? Well, first of all, I mean, it's, it's great news. Um, I don't know that you can ever look at a surplus as, as a bad thing. And I guess the first thing that kind of come to mind is, first of all, I've been doing this my four, fourth budget I've been involved with. And during that period of time, uh, we've experienced, you know, uh, some great success. Um, we've had surpluses throughout, which has enabled us to reduce taxes to the tune of about $13 billion now. And you, you have to question whether those things just happen by accident. I personally don't think they have. I think it's decisions that we've made in the past that have, when we have a surplus, um, we give it back to the people to let the, you know them grow our economy rather than thinking the government knows best on how to spend it. And you know that kind of put us to where we were yesterday as far as making a, you know taking a, a vote on a, a tax cut proposal to give the money back to the people. Uh, the Evers administration obviously wants to keep it and spend it uh, because they think they know better, but I guess the Republican. Uh, leadership over the last eight years has decided that you know the people should know uh, best how to spend that money, and we're going to continue that because it, it's worked to this point. Uh, initially, the governor, when it was announced that the state would have a, a, an unexpected surplus, the governor uh, went on statewide TV Sunday morning program and said that we should be cautious, that we should be conservative, and that the last thing that we wanted to do was to plow this one-time money into ongoing spending or programs that we would then have to figure out how to pay for in the future. Um, did you have a, a reaction to his initial uh, uh, plans for this money? Uh, a little bit of a chuckle, I would say, just based <laughs> on if you remember, you know, remember back to uh, the 
late spring of the, the first year of the session, 2019. Governor Evers was the new governor. Obviously, we had spent a lot of time uh, with Governor Walker, eight years, and with, le- and with legislative leadership in both houses, uh, legislative Republican leadership in both houses. Um, so, you know, he had a campaign on a middle-class tax cut. And, you know, thought, okay, you know, we, we obviously disagree on a lot of things, but if that's something that he's willing to support, let's move forward on that. So we put a proposal together focused on lower and middle class income, uh, which was consistent with what he had uh, supported. The only difference was how it was going to be paid for. We were going to pay for it through our surplus because we had made prudent decisions in the past. We had a surplus at that point in time, too. And he, he was against it. He ended up vetoing that uh, tax cut. And it was the answer that he gave was because it was using one-time money for ongoing expenses. Yet, as you know, after he, his initial caution, he came out with a plan that actually would spend that money uh, on uh, heading, heading that send those dollars towards uh, K-12 education um, and would be ongoing uh, commitment to K-12 education. You know, we have definitely seen a focus on education in Wisconsin as Republicans, but we do it in a, in a cautious manner. I, one of the worst things I think we can do, hey, my, my wife's a public school teacher, my kids are have all graduated from public schools. Um, I think one of the worst things we can do is make a commitment to, to our kids that we can't live up to tomorrow, right? And, and reasonable decisions, reasonable fiscally conservative decisions have brought us to where we are with these surpluses and a rainy day fund that is now going to be a billion dollars when eight years ago it was at one million dollars. Think of think of the growth there. Those reasonable fiscal decisions have allowed us to, to stay on this growth course and give more money back to the people, you know, com- committing uh, more money uh, without a revenue source to, uh, to K-12 education, I think would be uh, on, on would, would not be something that we should support, um, and it'd, it'd be uh, something that I think that the general public, um, while committed to education, understands that they know how best to spend their money, not government. And you mentioned the commitment to K-12 education. I mean, we should uh, list out for our listeners uh, the significant increases uh, in K-12 education in the last couple budgets. Uh, I think the 1921 budget was, Walker's last budget, uh, was something like 600 plus million more in K-12 education. Uh, this last budget, the first under Governor Evers, was a you know, after the veto, another 600 million more in K-12 education. Uh, we just recently passed the $7 billion a year mark for the first time. So uh, the state of Wisconsin spends over $7 billion a year on K-12 education. Uh, so it, it's not like uh, legislative Republicans have ignored K-12 education recently. Uh, in fact, the opposite of true is true. You've made significant uh uh, tens of uh, hundreds of millions of dollars more uh, available to K-12 education. Uh, so I, I don't think it's fair to criticize legislative Republicans that somehow you don't care about K-12 education. There, there's no doubt about it. And, and the narrative the Democrats want to paint is, is that we've been cutting K-12 education. You know, let's rewind. So rewind before... Um, Governor Walker got elected. The last two years of Governor Jim Doyle was Governor Jim Doyle, a Democrat. Uh, the legislatures were both controlled by Democrats. They actually, even though they had one-time stimulus money from the federal government, we were in, we were in a recession. Uh, they had one-time money from the, the federal government. Even though they had that money, they still 
made cuts to K-12 education without any way for our local school boards uh, and administration to be able to, you know, um, offset those cuts. Uh, Governor Walker got elected, majority in both houses for Republicans came in. We were facing, we were still in the middle of that recession, actually probably the deepest point of that recession, a $3.6 billion deficit. So rather than, you know, making cuts without giving them the tools to offset those cuts, we passed Act 10, which is, you know, the Democrats will talk about how we had, we made across-the-board cuts during that budget, no doubt about it. We made tough decisions. But what they fail to point out is, in addition to those across-the-board cuts, we gave local school boards the, the ability to, to offset those costs and make decisions for themselves rather than be uh, have their hands tied based on what the union contracts were. What has that enabled us to do over the years? The most recent estimate, I think, I, and I think it might, it might have come from your your, uh, your shop, was about five billion dollars in savings for, that Act 10 has, you know, passed on to the uh, the taxpayer. But it's also passed those some of those savings on to uh, school districts, so that they have more money to spend in the classroom. Whenever the Democrats are talking about cuts to K-12 education, they never talk about the savings that have actually been able to be um, retained and put into the classroom. They're only talking about dollars coming from Madison. Uh, at the end of the day, the decisions we made put us on this course that has allowed us to create these surpluses, create this rainy day fund, and because of that, you know, we're going to continue on that course. But to your point, there has been no doubt that because we've been, uh, been growing economically that there has been a commitment to K-12 education. I would point out, in, in addition to those increases, you have to offset the fact that we've been seeing declining enrollment throughout our entire state. So fewer kids with more money. Republicans have not been cutting education. We've been committed to it. Some would say, you know, it's time for us to get results out of that K-12 system, and I, I think that's an appropriate conversation for us to have. Fewer kids with a lot more investment in K-12 education recently. And I want to go back to one point. I think this is uh, important to stress. Uh, any business, especially in the state of Wisconsin, uh, recently uh, the single biggest increase every year to the cost of doing business is health insurance. And uh, particularly in Wisconsin, it's not uncommon in recent years to see small businesses experiencing, you know, four, six, eight, ten percent increase every year in their health insurance costs. Uh, but because of Act 10, our schools have a unique ability to control that cost. And I know some people want to uh, get past Act 10 and not talk about it, but uh, we're talking about huge savings here. Just last year, the Kenosha School District switched away from We a Trust because they have the, the the ability to do that under Act 10, and they saved themselves $20 million in their health insurance premiums. That's a huge chunk of change that can then be plowed back into the classroom and whatever other needs. So th that's a recent example of the power of Act 10 and just how important it is right. to this complete conversation you know democrats like to focus just you know especially yesterday at the at the finance committee like to focus just on one particular side of the argument and they they fail to take into account all of this and give taxpayers a a complete and realistic picture of of k-12 education and more importantly financing of k-12 education and where we stand today in wisconsin that's because I, I think if they actually paint the full picture for the 
the public that they lose the argument because the public would see through uh, their argument that they have not gotten cuts, they've actually had more resources than, than ever before, as you said, with a lot fewer kids. That issue, that health insurance issue, I mentioned you know, my background, I, I was a health insurance agent, uh, still am, uh, still practice to, to this day. Uh, so my wife, public school teacher, began uh, her career, I think, about in 2001, 2002. So I, being a health insurance agent, um, you know, paid attention to that stuff and, and, and paid attention to what her, our family plan cost. And at that point in time, we were through WEA Trust. Um, so I got the, the, the cost of what a family plan actually was for the Marinette School District in those days. It was about $26,000 for a family plan. This is in the early to mid 2000s, and the average in in my community for Marinette Marine, Ansel, Wapaka Foundry, you know, people that are, you know, sweating every single day to, to you know, to work hard and bring home a paycheck, um, was about 12. So I went to the school board. This is this is what in, this was what motivated me to run for the legislature. So I went to the school board, and I said, "You guys, this is this is crazy. You're you're." paying more than double what the average private sector is paying for your health insurance. So it, it took a few meetings. It took a little bit of, you know, um, being outspoken uh, to get them to do it, but they went and got a bid. They went and got a bid, and the bid came back. It would have saved them a million dollars a year. Yet at that time, under collective bargaining, the unions had a vote on it. So Marinette was a declining enrollment school district at the time, so every year they were seeing lower and lower resources coming in, even though a lot of their expenses were fixed. The school board or the uh, teachers' union voted no against that million-dollar savings, even though it was a comparable plan that was not with the WEA Trust. So when they didn't have those uh, savings, guess what they had to do? Declining enrollment, lower re- uh, fewer resources, some fixed costs, they had to lay off teachers. So that just gives you an example, and unfortunately, my wife was one of them. Um, but that could just gives you an example of how the union was more about the union and the control than actually looking out for the kids and even their own teachers. If they're actually representing their their, their, their employees and, and they, especially those newer ones, they would have been more than willing to have a, a new health plan that could have saved them a million dollars a year. And save teachers' jobs in the process. And save teachers' jobs. And that's the, you know, that's the one thing that I always harp on when we get into this argument about Act 10. Few people re- even think back and, and realize. So Maggie and I, she's a teacher, me as a legislator, um, we both were affected by Act 10. The conversation we had at that time over the kitchen table, as whether I should support this or not, was... And it came from her, and she was she was raised in a Democrat union family. She's a you know she's a conservative Republican now. But her comment to me is, you know, John, she said, you know, she, watching the news every night, there's people that are losing their jobs. We actually still have jobs. We might have to pay a little bit more for our pension and our health care. But at the end of the day, there were no mass layoffs in Wisconsin, whether teachers or public employees. There were none. Mm-hmm. All we did is we asked them to pay a little bit more for their their uh, pension and their health care, things that are a benefit to them. You look across the rest of the United States, governments have made different decisions. There were tens of thousands of public employees and teachers that lost their jobs. We made the right call. The results since then have bared fruit, and now we've got surpluses year after year after year that can allow us to not only invest in our priorities but give back to the people. It's their money first and foremost. 
and continues to bear fruit. I mean, Act 10 truly is the gift that keeps on giving to, to Wisconsin and Wisconsin taxpayers. All right, so let's fast forward to this week. Uh, yesterday, the Joint Finance Committee met. Uh, you started moving through the legislative process, legislative Republicans' plan for the surplus. Can you walk us through the tax relief plan that Republicans are forwarding? Right. So the plan that we're passing along um, for the people of the state of Wisconsin from a tax cut standpoint is approximately about a $392 million uh, GPR impact in fiscal year uh, 21. It becomes $269 million annually beginning in fiscal year 22. That's about a 40, there's, there's three different pieces to it. There's about a $40 million um, $47 million reduction in personal property tax. This is one of the most archaic, archaic taxes that we have uh, on, bi- on not only it's on business and people pay- paying for that refrigerator that's in their kitchen at their restaurant. They bought it 20 years ago, but they're still having to report it and pay for it. Um, all our neighboring states have eliminated the personal property tax. We've taken a number of steps towards doing that, but this is an- another step in that direction in eliminating um, uh, one more uh, sector uh, dealing with manufacturing uh, equipment. Uh, so that, that's part of it. In addition to that, there's the um, largest chunk is um, about $340 million is, is an income tax reduction. And that this is directly focused at the lower and middle class uh, brackets, once again, trying to deliver on what Tony Evers has said he would support. We don't want to just put something out there and have it vetoed. We actually want the tax relief to go to the, uh, the citizens of Wisconsin. It's about $106 average uh, per filer. So um, that all told, in addition to the other uh, cuts that we've actually uh, passed along already this session, it's about $300 in, uh, in savings to the average taxpayer in Wisconsin. So it's a pretty substantial stuff. Um, I mean, remember, the Wisconsin portion of your taxes is the small portion. The feds are the ones that take the huge chunk. So $300 in tax reduction is pretty, is pretty significant. In addition to the uh, personal property and the income tax cut, there's also a portion of it, uh, about $100 million, that would go towards the debt reduction. Now, uh, we talked about the rainy day fund now being about a billion dollars. Um, it is capped at about at 5% of the overall budget um, is, uh, is capped uh, for the rainy day fund. We had conversations. I actually would suggest suggested that we possibly raise that cap and keep saving more and more, which is not a bad idea. However, I think this idea is even better. So uh, when we have a surplus, half of it is directed to the rainy day fund, as not, at least to this point. And now that we're reaching that cap, uh, the, um, we have to talk about what to do with that half. The other half then uh, goes into the general fund, which in this case we're passing along in tax cuts. So it, once we're at that cap, what are we going to do with those, those resources? The plan is to take, take half of that, those uh, future surpluses and use it to pay down debt. And I think that I mean that's a decision that you and I, you know, as as family as families are putting their budgets together, would be a reasonable decision for us. If you got you know extra resources, um, you don't go out and spend it. You actually look at you know paying down the debt that you already have because in the long run that's going to put you in a much better financial position. And, and of course, Governor Evers campaigned on and criticized Governor Walker for the amount of debt we had in the state. So. Uh, one would think, based off of that campaign plan, uh, promise, that uh, he'd be open to reducing reducing our debt. 
You no doubt, and let's let's just contrast with what the Evers plan because the Democrats yesterday in joint finance was amazing to me. I called it bizarro world because they were all of a sudden now fans of reducing property taxes. Um, which hey, I Marinette one of the reasons one of the reasons uh, another reason to run for legislature is you know you got Michigan right across the border and I, I've seen their property taxes over the years be about thirty percent less than ours. So I've you know I've been very much a proponent of, of property tax reduction. And then we, we, as Representative Canole said yesterday, his property taxes in Menominee Falls uh, area, or in, I think he's in Hartford, are lower today than they were in 2010. So we've done a really good job at that. So while the Evers administration is talking about um, about um, K-12 funding, one of the things they fail to point out is of that investment that they're proposing in K-12 uh, education, about half of it actually is not K-12 education funding. It actually, uh, none of it will end up in the classroom. It's property tax uh, relief. And and typically that skews more towards higher value homes. So it just makes sense. You have a higher value home, you're going to get a larger portion of that that reduction versus what we're doing is, you know, we're we're targeting it towards the lower and middle class, which is what Evers had campaigned on. So it seems to be a little disingenuous in his uh, rhetoric and dealing with it, this issue, and I think that's because, unlike all the Walker budgets, the Evers budget, uh, we've we've seen the most significant property tax increase in the last ten years under his leadership, and he knows that he's 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 in a weak spot there. So that's all of a sudden why he's seen uh, Jesus when it comes to um, property tax relief. I think too, people are always a little suspect uh, when you try and convince them that. Uh, you're going to spend more money, uh, spend more money at the local level in order to provide property tax relief. I don't know if that necessarily computes with people, and I think they have a hard time believing that sort of thing. Uh, so what, um, finance advanced your plan yesterday. Uh, it moves on, I'm assuming, to the Assembly and Senate floor soon. Uh, let's play uh, prognosticator here a little bit. What are the chances uh, you think that the governor would actually sign your property tax relief or your 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 tax relief plan into law? Well, I'm not. Uh, you know, you and I are probably old, old enough to remember Jimmy the Greek, and he wasn't really good at prognosticating either. Um, so I don't consider it one of my strengths. But um, I do. I mean, if you actually if you actually listen to the rhetoric that he's uh, that's kind of come out of his mouth, not only in the campaign, but since, I think we checked the boxes. And he's wanted it focused at lower and middle income folks. That's exactly what this is. This isn't targeted at higher income folks. I think uh, only a uh, small portion, about $7,700, if I remember correctly, of the tax relief actually is, is goes to anybody over $144,000 in income. So this is middle class and lower, lower uh, middle class uh, folks in Wisconsin. So based on that, he should sign it. But I will say from a political standpoint, um, I have not been impressed with the decisions that have come out of his office. Uh, and this, this would not surprise me to see this end up on the, in the veto scrap heap because the last middle class tax cut that we put on his desk um, that met uh, what the criteria he was asking for, except how it was paid for, got vetoed. So I, uh, I am not overly optimistic that uh, he, he will find uh, the find Jesus, as I said earlier, on this issue. I'm afraid that the end up, once again, the taxpayers of Wisconsin will kind of be collateral damage in, in the Evers administration. Uh, 
And the change in rhetoric right after, right out of the gate here uh, seems to suggest that uh, somewhere along the line, uh, after initially saying that he wanted to be conservative with the surplus, uh, the special interest groups got to him and his administration, and that's why they came out with this with this right. plan to, to spend the surplus. So that, that would suggest that uh, uh, a veto is more likely than him actually signing this into law. Uh, as we mentioned at the top here, um, things are moving quickly in the legislative uh, uh, session. We're, we're getting towards the end. Lots of bills moving through uh, uh, both houses quickly in the hopes of becoming uh, law before uh, time runs out. Uh, can you update us real quick on the rural initiative? Governor Evers, in his State of the State address, talked about a rural initiative, President Trump, and the trade deal aimed at uh, helping dairy farmers in Wisconsin. A lot of discussion recently. Uh, Assembly Republicans, uh, Senate Republicans have a plan as well for uh, helping uh, the rural parts of our economy. Can you can you walk us through where that is in this process and, and what you guys are proposing? Well, um, there were a couple of proposals that passed through joint finance yesterday um, you know, aimed at helping farmers. And, uh, you know, they're both from a you know, it, it, it's an interesting perspective between Republicans and Democrats. Um, once again, Governor Evers and his proposal during the State of the State um, talked a lot about programs and a lot of it's program for to help agriculture. And there were a lot of programs that were growth of government, more employees, you know, from top to bottom. And I, you know, uh, I'm not a farmer, but we have a number of them in our caucus. I don't think there's one Democrat farmer. Uh, we have a number of them in our caucus, and, they were, and the comment I heard from my colleagues that are farmers was that we don't need more people. We don't need more programs to tell us how to farm. 2019 was probably one of the worst years on record, at least recent history for farming, and whether that be the weather. I mean, I just one of my colleagues just sent a picture the other day that he was basically taking out the last few rows of corn in his field because the weather had either been too wet or the snow came early or whatever. He was just taking this, the, the corn out at this point in time in, 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 the, in the year. Um, what we're trying to do is realize that we're in a bad, we have been in a bad spot. Farm prices are, you know, in many cases, lower than or, uh, you know, the, what they're getting paid for the price are lower than what they were 30 years ago. We, we need to grow um, our uh, markets, no doubt about it. But w- this is oftentimes a, um, a, fo- a focus about, once again, similar mindset to just a general po- uh, taxpayer. Is let the, let give give farmers more of their own money. Let them keep more of their own money to invest in their in their farms. Um, perhaps uh, target some things to grow the the market, such as our trade opportunities. You know, the the Democrats were once again attacking uh, President Trump on his trade uh, negotiations and the the tariffs that have been been implemented. Yet I would point out that we now have a new deal with Canada and Mexico that I believe is going to provide great opportunities for farmers in Wisconsin to be able to grow their markets. And, and to be able to help with their bottom line. So I think that is a significant change. Obviously, we still have some international trade deals uh, beyond North and South America that need to be, uh, need, need to be, um, we need to figure those out. Yet, that is the best opportunity for us to grow uh, our, our agriculture is, is through trade. So it's, while we pretty much said no to a lot of the personnel growth that Governor Evers asked for because the programs aren't going to do it, Focusing on trade opportunities for Wisconsin to get our our products overseas. I think I was in China 
and I met with a, uh, a gentleman from a, basically an Amazon-type uh, company in, in China, and he said, actually graduated UW-Madison. I said, is there, is there anything that we can do from uh, Wisconsin to help you with your business? And he said he wants fresh milk. He wants because the people of China, largest you know country in the world, they don't trust these dairy products in China. Yet we have a problem being able to transport and be able to live with a you know product that's got an expiration, right? So we have to be able to find ways to tap into those unrealized markets in the world uh, and and provide them our products that they want and desire, um, and that's going to be our focus as we move through. And we did it. we passed a number of bills that will help us do that yesterday. And hopefully, uh, you were in China well before the uh, breakout. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was a couple of years ago. Oh, good, good, good. All right, well, um, Chairman uh, Nigren, we appreciate the time and the update. Uh, this has been very informative. Uh, please come back. Uh, we we enjoy spending time with you and catching up on the legislative process and everything going on in Madison. And thank you again for joining us today on the MacGyver Newsmaker Podcast. As always, listeners, please share the MacGyver Newsmaker podcast with your family, friends, colleagues, and even your sworn enemies. Get every MacGyver Newsmaker podcast delivered directly to your device. Be sure to subscribe through your favorite podcast app, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, or Google Play. You can also join the conversation. Find MacGyver on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or whatever the latest hip and trendy channel is. Give us your ideas for the show, your comments, your criticism, or whatever else is on your mind. We want to hear from you. Until next time, Wisconsin, this is the MacGyver Newsmaker Podcast signing off.